In the 90s, New York detective Louis Scarcella locked up the worst criminals. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it. Then jailhouse lawyers took aim, led by Derek Hamilton. Scarcella took me to the precinct and lied. 20 men eventually walked free. Now, in the Burden podcast, after a decade of silence, Louis Scarcella finally tells his story. And so does Derek Hamilton. Listen to The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When you're fighting a certain kind of enemy, it's not always about who has more guns or more soldiers. The ability to understand the opposing side and develop a solid strategy can lead to shorter wars and less bloodshed. During and after World War II, when the United States needed help handling a foreign power as quickly as possible, they called on one man. His name was Edward Lansdale, and he was a United States Air Force officer. His specialty was psychological warfare, getting into the heads of his enemies and using their beliefs against them. For example, in Vietnam in the 1950s, he helped lead 500,000 Catholic refugees out of communist-led North Vietnam by spreading religious propaganda. The pamphlets he helped distribute claimed Christ has gone to the South and insinuated a nuclear bomb would be dropped on Hanoi at any moment. And the plan worked. The mass migration allowed South Vietnam to take over as the majority half of the country. However, Lansdale's efforts there were fairly tame compared to some of his other attempts at military manipulation. Upon discovering the Vietnamese people's belief in prophecy, he paid local fortune tellers and astrologers to write predictions for an almanac he was publishing. Once completed, he snuck it across enemy lines and let it do its work. The book forecasted problems for the people in the north, encouraging them to move to the south where it was safer. But perhaps his wildest idea came in the 1950s while he was working to squash a communist uprising in the Philippines. Soldiers who didn't want to be associated with the rich Manilan Filipinos embraced communism and formed their own rebel militia, called the Hucks, and their numbers were growing. Lansdale was sent in to stop them. Unfortunately, the Hucks had taken a prime position at the top of a hill. Luzon and U.S. forces were unable to get to them without sustaining significant casualties. But Lansdale had an idea. He knew what the rebels were afraid of, and it wasn't guns or bombs. It was called an Aswang, a creature with a long tongue and sharp teeth that drained its victim's blood, kind of like a vampire. Lansdale went to work spreading rumors about an Aswang feeding nearby, hoping to spook them. But rumors wouldn't be enough to convince the Hucks to leave their position. He had his troops wait along a known route for enemy patrols. As the Hucks passed by, Lansdale's men snatched the last rebel in line, a poor guy who had just fallen behind enough so as not to be heard as he was carried off into the woods. Then he was strung upside down, and his neck was punctured, leaving two small holes. He was then drained of his blood and tossed back onto the road where he'd been taken from. After that, it was just a matter of waiting for him to be discovered. The rebel soldiers returned looking for their fallen friend, and there he was, 
pale, lifeless, and brandishing the telltale signs of an Aswang attack. The next day, the Hucks left the hill for a safer position. Lansdale's ruse had worked flawlessly, although he wasn't done just yet. One Aswang attack would not end the whole rebellion, so he went on to paint all-seeing eyes on the doors of homes where it was thought that rebels might be hiding. He even had low-flying planes transmit messages to make the Hucks think that there were spies everywhere. And not long after, the Hucks surrendered, ending their rebellion, and earning Edward Lansdale a place in history as someone who didn't, um, suck at winning wars, even if he had to pretend to be a vampire to do it. In the 1980s and 90s, New York City needed a tough cop like Detective Louis Scarcella. Putting bad guys away. There's no feeling like it in the world. He was the guy who made sure the worst killers were brought to justice. That's one version. This guy is a piece of shit. Derek Hamilton was put away from murder by Detective Scarcella. In prison, Derek turned himself into the best jailhouse lawyer of his generation. And the law was my girlfriend. This is my only way to freedom. Derek and other convicted murderers started a law firm behind bars. We never knew we had the same cop in the case. Scarcella. We got to show that he's a corrupt cop. They can go f*** themselves. I'm Steve Fishman. And I'm Dax Devlin-Ross. And this is The Burden. Listen to new episodes of The Burden on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to hear episodes one week early and ad-free with exclusive bonus content, subscribe to True Crime Clubhouse on Apple Podcasts. They say dogs in the workplace lead to less stress for employees. This results in more productivity, fewer sick days taken, and a higher morale. But the idea of taking your pet to work didn't originate with big companies like Google or Amazon. In fact, as far back as the 1800s, canine companions were a common sight at certain workplaces. One such pooch was named Oni. He was a terrier and the unofficial mascot of Albany, New York's post office back in the late 1800s. Oni liked to hang around and sleep in the mailbags while his owner worked. And even after his owner quit the post office, Oni stayed behind to keep watch over the letters and packages that came through. The dog was very protective of the mailbags, and when one moved, he would follow it to the train that it was eventually loaded onto. Riding the rails from Albany to another location, Oni stayed with the mail and made sure only mail clerks ever handled the bags. And since none of the trains he rode on ever derailed or crashed, they started to view him as a good luck charm. Over the years, Oni traveled all over the United States protecting the mail. The New York Central Railroad system was able to go just about anywhere from the Albany station, taking Oni to places like Boston, Cleveland, Chicago, and even farther out. And no matter where he went, the little terrier from New York always had someone to look out for him. Mail carriers from across the country loved Oni like he was one of their own, and in a way, he was. He was kind of an honorary postal employee. While the U.S. Postal Service unofficially adopted him as a mascot for the whole organization, they also treated him much like a parcel. 
wherever he went, they tagged him and then sent him along to the next destination. The only difference was that he got to eat and drink before the trip. At every stop along the way, Oni would have another tag added to his collar. And as his trips grew longer, that collar grew heavier. It would jingle as he walked. And when it got to be too much for him to carry, the postmaster general had a coat made to display them instead. Over time, even the coat became too cumbersome for him. He was just a small little terrier, after all. It's believed that over time, Oni had accumulated over 1,000 medals and tags during his time on the rails, which was a lot for that tiny pooch to carry. He certainly earned each one, though. On one trip, a mail pouch had fallen off a delivery wagon, and Oni jumped out to stay behind and protect it. After all the deliveries had been made, the clerks noticed the missing bag and the missing dog. They retraced their route until eventually they found the bag, and there was Oni, laying on top of it, waiting for them to return. But the dog's greatest journey was still ahead. In 1895, Oni went international. He rode on trains and steamships, protecting the mail as it traveled through Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Middle East. And he did this for an entire year. According to one report, he even received passports and medals directly from the Emperor of Japan. And when he finally returned to America on December 23rd, Oni's feat was publicized by newspapers all over the country, turning him into a pint-sized celebrity. But all that travel would eventually take its toll on the beloved mascot. After accumulating over 143,000 miles through his time at the Postal Service, he'd had enough. It hadn't helped that his health was failing and he'd grown a bit aggressive in his old age. Two years following that famous trip around the world, Oni was put down. He'd apparently attacked a postal clerk and a U.S. Marshal, though it's believed that he'd been mistreated prior to that attack. Regardless, Oni left an indelible mark on both the Postal Service and the country as a whole. The clerks who had been ordered to bury the dog refused to do it, claiming he deserved better. Instead of being buried, Oni was preserved, and his remains are on display to this day at the Smithsonian National Postal Museum in Washington, D.C. It's a fitting tribute for a dog who managed to turn a famous stereotype on its head. Rather than chasing the mailman, Oni became one. Now that's what I'd call a good boy. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.